listening to Grassroots, a production of Plant with Purpose. I am Philippe Lazaro, and this is quite a different episode than the one I was planning on bringing to you. Um, As you are now well aware, the COVID-19 pandemic has um, put daily life on hold for for the majority of the world. And um, as we are recording this, it is... Um, Friday, March 20th, 2020, uh, it appears that there's a lot of uncertainty ahead um, and that is impacting so many sectors and so many different areas of life right now. Um, And so I thought we would just hop on here as um, Plant With Purpose as an organization and kind of talk through the the few different things that we're, we're processing, the way we're experiencing um, this crisis all together. And so joining me right now uh, is our CEO, Scott Sabin. You've heard him before on our previous episode. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on a call. Well, you're more than welcome. If there's one thing I have a lot of right now, it's time. <laughs> that is true. So you know, I want to get into several different topics, how we are handling this as a planet, as an organization, as an organization that is focused globally, especially as uh, communities that are especially vulnerable to all kinds of uncertainties. But I thought I would first just check in on a on a very human level and ask how, how you've been doing personally, you know, as a husband, as a dad, um, yeah, just how the, the past week or so has has been for you and your family. Honestly, I think we're um, all doing pretty well. My uh, wife is uh, in uh, in healthcare. She is working at a community clinic, so obviously, I'm I'm concerned for her. But um, you know, as a family, you know, we're taking it seriously, and I think that's really important to to take this seriously to not figure out ways to get around um, the, the requests that have been made of us, but at the same time, to do it without fear. Whatever happens, whatever the future holds, Jesus will give us the strength to handle that when it comes. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, the, the steps of taking things one day at a time and just seeing what the next right thing is has been uh, especially valuable and especially important. How has... Um, Nancy's experience been, you know, being in the in the healthcare industry right now. Uh, how has she? What has she seen that's been different about the past week? That uh, sounds like an obvious question, but I think you know what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think that she's seen that much yet. A lot of concern. You know, it seems like the healthcare system is locally is doing its best to clear the decks and be prepared for what the next few weeks might hold. But right now, it's been community clinic where she works has been fairly business as usual. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that update. And we'll definitely be, you know, having her and and the rest of our um, healthcare workers, you keep hearing them addressed as the front lines of this crisis. And I think that's a very accurate statement. And so (laughs) we appreciate her involvement. Um, And definitely anyone who's listening to us right now who is in that industry or is providing that service that uh, is extremely valuable. Shifting, I think maybe we can maybe just start very micro and start to expand slowly. So how, how have things been different for for 
plant with purpose at this moment. I think it was right around this time a week ago where we started to realize we were in for something very different over the next few months. So how how did that realization start to sink in? And I think at what point did you realize business as usual would have to be on hold for a good while? Well, I think the, I think the warning signs have been out there for a while. What it actually means continues to unfold. Just last night, we went to a shelter-in-place order, and uh, but we've been working remotely for uh, just a, just about a week. I think it was uh, morning devotions last Friday was the last time I saw everybody from our team, and that's that's been a, a bit of a challenge. I, I'm very thankful for tools that uh, keep us connected. Um, and uh, have it enabled us to to move forward fairly uninterrupted. I have um, more concern, I think, for our partners right now. There's a, a number of ways that um, this has the potential to to affect them. I think you know we pointed out last week that many of them live, many of the clients, the farmers that we serve, live in remote villages. And so they are less exposed maybe to, to visitors and to traffic, but they're also much more vulnerable in that um, many of them are elderly, many subsistence farmers, people who stayed on the land are elderly. Um, many of them are in relatively poor health. And there's virtually no um, healthcare infrastructure there at all. And so one of the things that we're realizing is if the virus was to enter those communities, they would be completely vulnerable. And so we have to think about how do we not become the vector that introduces the virus into the communities? Now, obviously, there's traffic back and forth women going to the market to sell their produce, that sort of thing. And that's another area I think that we can we can help is just to make people who may not have access to the same same information systems, the same whether it's the internet or or television, to be aware of the dangers involved in that and the fact that uh that they can be carrying the disease even if they're not um showing symptoms. That, that's a, a huge consideration right now. Organizationally, I'm also thinking about how can we serve our donors? Um, we have a network that uh, has been very faithful to us. And now is a time where we can be of service to them, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through just being a, a, a voice of, of, of comfort. And then the next thing I'm thinking about is how do we keep the staff engaged and moving forward? Um, I think one of the things that I've learned from other experiences, I'd say like this, but they haven't been, nothing's been quite like this, but both from the military and, and from a time when I had a, a extended and pretty serious personal health scare, I think it's really important on an individual level that we stay a, we stay focused on Christ, but B, we stay busy, purposeful, outward focused, and helping others. It's when you don't have a sense of purpose that fear can creep in. And so um, we have a lot, even though we're isolated, there's a lot we can do to be of help to others, whether it's calling people, 
um, whether it's uh, praying for people, whether it's encouraging people. And with regard to our partners, helping to be a conduit of information. You know, I think um, we're seeing a, uh, we're learning a lot, actually, of what many of our partners have had to deal with. In the last two years, at least three of our partners have had to have had to shelter in place, whether it's uh, due to civil unrest or, or, or other things. And so we're learning a lot about what that's like and learning a lot about what they dealt with as they continued to serve our clients and continued to give the love of Jesus to our partners in a time of uncertainty and a time when they couldn't leave their homes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so there's I I was putting a uh, mental bookmarks all over the place for for things I definitely want to hop back and talk about. Uh, you mentioned about how this is a very valuable time for us to be thinking about our donors, our supporters, um, you know, the community that we've cultivated, um, you know, not just abroad but also domestically of people who um, are in our corner. And I think it is. Uh, a very valuable time to remember that it's definitely a two-way relationship. Yeah, I think that um, I don't know, the thing that stood out to me, as you were saying, was the role that we get to play in, in checking in with um, our contacts and those we have communication with to to see how how they're doing and what we might be able to do to help if there is anything. Um, so that was just an observation that stood out to me. You mentioned also that one concern uh, internationally that we have is the flow of communication, especially to our partners who are in areas that might not have easy access to to mass communication that goes out via airwaves or, or the internet or whatnot. Do you have any sort of sense as to what awareness of this pandemic might be like in some of the more uh, remote um, places that we've been serving? I don't. I am, you know, most of the information that we get um, comes from government sources or from CDC. And I'm aware that, you know, those are unique to the U.S. context. So what is the, for for example, the Haitian government um or the international news that's available in Haiti, putting out to our partners um, there, our staff there, um, may be different than what we're getting. Now, they just had their first two cases um, this week, actually yesterday, and uh, have closed their borders, and I uh, have taken a number of other measures. But that, again, that's reaching our local staff. Then taking it another step further, and going out into some of the remote communities, for example, in Cornelion, which is barely accessible by by vehicle, or in other communities that uh, are not, you know, you think of in the high reaches of the of the Kakumba watershed in in DRC, those communities aren't reachable by vehicle, but only by by foot, and and uh, so the only sense that I have is that the information they're getting is probably incomplete. And um, we can be helpful in that respect. 
Yeah, well, speaking of, I know you um, recently have been in communication with all of our partnering countries that we work with and, and the leadership in each of those areas. Can you maybe give us a sense as to what that communication has been like, what you've heard from them, maybe some of their concerns and things you've uh, heard that they're doing to either address the situation or to prepare themselves for some possibilities? Yeah. And of course, all of them are, are aware they're taking it seriously. They are all implementing uh, hand washing and uh, social distancing and that sort of thing. I think even since our last communication, there's more that needs to take place and, and, and more than will take place. But um, it's a time, I think, of honestly, of amazing solidarity. We are all going through this together. Every country on earth, we are all going through this together. And uh, I am blessed to be a part of an international community that's praying for one another, that is sharing information with each other, and um, that's going to weather it together. You you spoke earlier, too, about, um, you know, the potentially devastating effects that uh, could happen were were an outbreak to make its way to some of the places where we work that have uh, that just lack the infrastructure to be able to um, cope adequately with with that sort of a thing. And that's obviously, I think, one of our our biggest concerns and one of the things we want to make every effort to prevent. However, we're able to do that. I'm curious past that, what some of our other big concerns might be um, related to that, perhaps some downstream effects. How how will this impact, even if it doesn't make its way to these communities, um, it is affecting a number of things from the f- mobility of people to the global economy. What are some of our concerns related to those things um, and the work that we've, the mission we've been trying to do? Well, one thing that is, that is I think, um, good, uh, fortunate about the work that we do is it is equipping people to, um, to carry on. The savings groups don't need us to continue. Um, you know, they've learned how to save capital and how to invest capital and how to invest in each other's projects. The farmer field schools have taught people how to run their own experiments and to continue innovating in their agriculture. The uh, Christian outreach and theology of work have, have helped people to discover purpose. And so all that will continue even if we're not able to continue working in communities. Having said that, one of my concerns downstream is, uh, you know, is, is obviously this is going to have an impact on, on funding and are we going to be able to continue to serve all of our communities? Are we going to be able to expand into some of the new communities? We had um, just finished a, a new strategic plan with um, the hope of doubling the number of people we're serving and the uh, number of, of communities and, and, and watersheds that we're working in over the next few years. Are we going to be able to serve those people? Are they going to be able to to learn some of these tools that have that have, have transformed the places that we've been in? I think that you know, there's also all the unknowns. 
um, in a situation like this, there may be whole realms of things that we haven't thought of yet. Um, the, the known unknowns it's, that are out there and uh, kind of keeping our eyes open for those and being prepared for those. With that in mind, we've been doing a lot of information sharing with other organizations and, and just trying to be up to speed on, on what are some of the possible impacts that we're not even aware of yet. The sense I have is that, you know, depending on how this crisis continues to unfold, cross collaboration between organizations, you know, different organizations have kind of carved out niche roles or certain areas of expertise or just have found ways that they uniquely excel. I'm curious as to how you think that sort of collaboration could be both advantageous and necessary. And what are some things you've seen other organizations do, either in response to what's already happened or in preparation for the the uncharted territory ahead? I think that there's a lot more collaboration that takes place than a lot than people are aware of. And uh, we were already having some pretty exciting conversations with other organizations. An emergency like this is just going to going to force the issue. You know, we, as you said, we work in a particular niche, but we don't. We don't do healthcare. Uh, that's outside of our of our realm of expertise. We don't do emergency relief. That's outside of our areas of expertise. And so there's there's likely to be a lot of of potential for collaboration and and an absolute need for it. But in the short term, where I've seen it is a lot of a lot of <laughs> conference calls and sharing of information um, between organizations. I think um, one thing that this moment is kind of bringing to the surface is the the value of some of the things we've really invested in as an organization, really over the course of years. And I'm thinking of um, first our our investment in resilience. You mentioned that a lot of our day to day activities are carried out by the local community members themselves. And so foreseeably certain things like farming and tree planting can continue. I know we've often talked a lot about these activities build resilience for uncertainties. And I think most of the time where I've said something like that, uh, you know, I've imagined an ongoing issue like climate change or, or even something more like a natural disaster. I don't think a global pandemic was quite what I, anticipated, but it, it seems to be playing out in that realm uh, regardless. The other value or the other way of doing things that I think is really paying off has been our effort to localize our work as much as possible, to put um, the tools to carry it out in the hands of national leaders and then further in the hands of community-based facilitators and yeah, community leaders and churches that can continue to carry out that work. I'm curious how we might be leaning in even more, even further into those networks uh, in the upcoming months, how we'll be uh, relying on our international partnerships that we've invested in pretty heavily. Well, first, I just want to say I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's the local nature of the work that's going to be the what, what keeps it going? If we were relying on expats to fly back and forth, or even relying on national leaders that had to travel out to communities, um, there would be a much bigger break in, in what's going on. In fact, this, 
is sort of an enforced localization on everyone. And so um, the fact that we are decentralized, localized um, is going to be a, a big help. You know, I, we've talked about this many times, Philippe, but uh, one of the things we've learned is that, that our clients are our most important ally. They are the ones who are planting trees and who are who are improving agriculture and who are growing more food. And, um, you know, when we learned to, to look at them as partners and not projects, everything changed. And so I think that that is is absolutely key to um, to their resilience and honestly, our the resilience of our work. And so we will be you know, looking at ways that we can further improve our work and further support the clients from a from an increasingly local way and from an increasingly local um, um, stance. And so I, I, how are we relying on our international partners for everything? They're the hands and feet, and increasingly it's the people working within their own communities that are going to make the difference. Yeah. I want to look at a question i'm going to try and address this sensitively um but the the topic or the idea that you know the work must continue that we're addressing a need that continues to be ongoing and you know while a lot of things are on hold right now many of the problems we face poverty environmental degradation those don't take a break in fact they potentially make people even more vulnerable in a situation like this and, you know, I, I've just been thinking kind of about the nonprofit world as a whole. I, I've heard from people who work for organizations that deal with, uh, just as an example, domestic violence, highlighting that now especially it makes it even harder for people to give services in that realm uh, to, to fundraise to have those resources to offer help and support. And, you know, our, our area that we're trying to serve is in the environmental and the spiritual and economic lives of people. I'm curious how um, you see us continuing to, to persist in this work um, while in many ways our hands are tied. And again, trying to, to address this sensitively, um, you know, that all still requires funding uh, at a time where it looks like our economy is going to be disrupted in a way that uh, doesn't follow patterns that we've seen in past recessions. I'm curious how you are looking ahead at those concerns, how you're planning to adapt and address them and, and just things that are present in mind at this time. Well, as you rightly pointed out, the work isn't less important than it was. Chronic hunger is still a huge issue. Um, Poverty. I mentioned the fact that these communities are particularly vulnerable. One of the reasons they're particularly vulnerable is because of uh, health issues that stem from the poverty that people face, that stem from the uh, degradation of the land that they farm, um, and that's going to be increased. You know, if you think about, um, uh, you know, thankfully most of our farmers. Uh, grow a large portion of their own food, but for those who are who are growing surplus to sell and relying on trips to the market and disruptions to their economy, all that's going to intensify their suffering. They're more resilient, but they're not immune. And those issues are just as important as they've always been. 
And I, I, I also think that, um, yeah, as we experience the uncertainty and our own sense of vulnerability at this time, looking outwards, again, staying purposeful, helping others can help us. Right. Um, I think one other big observation I've had as to how organizations like ours, um, nonprofits, and this probably applies to other types of organizations or anyone with a voice, really churches or leaders, is that at a time where we can't quite continue our programs as normal, um, we are able to lean back onto the things we've learned, the things we value and, and our our core beliefs more securely. And I think a lot of these beliefs and ideas are, are being tested or, or being put into practice um, as the situation unfolds. I wanted to talk about a few of them in particular. One of them we kind of started this conversation with, you know, wanting to be concerned and be proactive and um, always be thinking a few steps ahead whilst at the same time not giving in to fear or panic or hysteria. And and to be honest, I kind of feel like I've heard maybe unhealthy extremes of, of different ways people can take an idea and run with it. First of all, the idea that, right, we don't want to be guided by fear, but sometimes that that stance on fearlessness can turn into a position of recklessness, which um, I think we've seen demonstrated different ways as, as this pandemic has unfolded. Uh, on the other side of that, there's this paralysis by fear that, um, you know, uh, some of us might be vulnerable to giving into. And I'm curious if you can speak to how to navigate those, those waters, how to be concerned and proactive and, and lovingly looking out for, um, things that we don't want to do harm to each other whilst at the same time, not being guided by fear. Uh, yeah, thanks. And I and I, I did touch a little bit on that earlier, but just to, to go back to that, I think, first of all, there is a delicate balance between taking this seriously. But I think there's a sober-mindedness, you, you know, that, that isn't about fear. You know, when we're, when we're social distancing, and it's not because we're afraid, it's because we want to show love for the people that we're not, that we're not potentially infecting. And so we want to take it very seriously. On the other hand, yeah, we also want to trust Jesus, ask him how we can be outwardly focused and used to be a, to be a blessing in this time. And, and, and I, you know, as I mentioned, I think um, being purposeful and helping others. One of the things that I've seen typically happens interesting there there's a number of unhealthy directions right there's there's panic there's um there's the uh, you know denial going on spring break anyway and then there's the sense of i'm going to protect mine and my families and we're going to hole up and um i think it's a time for empathy and a time for you know racking your brain who is likely to really, who do I know that would really love a phone call? Who do I know that um, might be discouraged? And I know, um, you know, we've been using video conferencing software, and I actually taught my parents, who are both in their late 80s, how to use that uh, 
earlier this week um, because I think uh, phone calls are great, but seeing each other's faces, you know, again, at this moment, at this time, that's really important. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's, yeah, that that distinction between doing things out of concern and, and being motivated just by, by compassion and empathy for one another uh, is really what sets apart proactively acting out of a s- space of caution from from the fear or the panic that you've seen otherwise. I think, and, and not to beleaguer the point or over-editorialize, but you know, I think that God also gives us a spirit of discernment in in these situations that you know, if we take the time to listen, can help guide us to towards the next right step. I just know myself personally, I, under ordinary circumstances, uh, am not easily dissuaded from doing things that might appear risky. I think there's a, there's an element of that that drew me into work that involves going internationally, going to places where many people don't venture for, for the purposes of comfort. (laughs) But I think as certain elements of this crisis were, were starting to present themselves, I realized that it called for a different way of decision-making. And I, I'm really glad that I was able to, to lean into those. And so I think that, yeah, speaking from that faith perspective, allowing God to, to let us know when to exercise more caution, when to step forward, um, for the sake of helping other people is especially valuable. And I think that's something we've seen throughout in our work throughout the years that just becomes even more pronounced right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a, you know, reminder that uh, we are not taking risks because the risks we're taking would not just be risks to ourselves, but risks for other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, another big thing I wanted to to explore with you is kind of from the get-go what our mission has been about has been how do we look out for the most vulnerable how do we see the image of god in those who our world and our society often pushes to the margins or often forgets about or takes for granted I think for years we've been looking at the approximately 800 million who live in a state of extreme poverty or extreme hunger. And, and you know, they definitely represent some of the world's most vulnerable communities with vulnerability to, to climate, to hunger, to all kinds of uncertainties. And right now, I think we are seeing this conversation about vulnerability being had about um, the elderly in our community, about those who have underlying health issues that put them at greater risk, and even those who are economically vulnerable, uh, people in certain service industries or essential workers who can't afford or, or who aren't able to socially distance themselves the way uh, others of us might be able to at this time. I'm curious, just in in years and decades of trying to serve the most vulnerable what are a few of the things that you've found helpful, valuable, or important that I think most of us would need to keep in the front of our minds at this time? Well, I think you know one of the the most surprising lessons to me is is how incredibly inspirational our clients are. Um, 
people often ask me, you know, what's your favorite country? And, and I always say, no, I don't have a favorite country. But, but one that always inspires me like no place else is Haiti. And that's partly because of the tenacity of the people we work with and the fact that they don't, they don't get discouraged. They don't, I mean, obviously I'm making huge generalizations, but, um, and you hear expressions of hope all the time. Now that we're dealing with some of the same kinds of things, different form, but some of the same kinds of things that they deal with on a daily basis. I'm personally drawing a lot of strength from their example and a lot of inspiration from their example. Um, I want to be tenacious. I don't want to lose hope. I want to keep pressing forward. And, um, and anyway, that's been an an important lesson to me. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we measure, especially as a, as we're trying to measure our spiritual impact, one of the things we measure is, are you manifesting the fruit of the spirit? And how do you measure that? Well, one of the ways is, do you love your neighbor as yourself? And so we look at, you know, how, how often are people helping their neighbors? And we see an increase of that with our work, with our program. Now, will we see an increase in ourselves in helping our neighbors? Will we manifest that love? I think another valuable piece of the conversation regarding how we can look out for and serve the most vulnerable, I'm going to draw a lot from just my own personal experience here, but I think it's been a big part of that process has been getting in touch with our own vulnerability. And I think that that's something that this pandemic is forcing many of us to reckon with. Yeah, we've seen high profile athletes in peak physical condition um, be hit with a positive diagnosis. And I think we're realizing very quickly that despite um, the appearance of health, of youth, or of economic or technological sophistication, we all have some vulnerability to some degree. One of the books that's influenced me quite a bit is uh, Just Mercy. I think a lot of people might be familiar with it since it's been recently adapted for film. But one of the ideas from there that's stood out to me was the way the author Brian Stevenson, he is able to connect with the population he serves, um, a lot of inmates he works with as an attorney, through the area of brokenness. And he's there's a part in his book where he talks about how coming to terms with his own brokenness has allowed him to better serve other people in their state of brokenness. And I, I think that brokenness and vulnerability are very similar in that regard. The more in touch we are with the ways that we're vulnerable, the ways our immediate loved ones are vulnerable, the the more we can empathetically serve those who are vulnerable at a geographic or conceptual distance right now. And I know you, you touched earlier on how um, you've had health scares earlier in life and things, but I'm curious if, if some degree of a personal realization of your vulnerability has guided you through your decades of work and is continuing to guide you right at this moment. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, you know, I, one of the things that struck me when COVID-19 first, first we realized how big a deal this was going to be is that it corresponds with the Lenten season. And we start the Lenten season with, uh, with Ash Wednesday. And, uh, 
you know, the reminder as we as we take the ashes is that from dust you came and to dust you'll return, that we are all vulnerable, that uh, we are all mortal. And uh, we used to work with this um, absolutely amazing Episcopal priest in uh, in the mountains of Haiti, Jean Wilfred Albert. And uh, he used to always say, we're only here for a short time. So while we're here, let's do what Jesus wants us to. The reason I say we used to work with him is because his time was short. Um, he passed away with cancer some years ago. But the joy with which he said, we're only here for a short time. So while we're here, let's do the will of the one who put us here. Will always stick with me. Yeah, that's a really powerful note <laughs> right now. Before we, we wrap up or move forward, I just want to open the, the table. If Is there anything else you want um, those of us who are listening to, to be aware of or just thinking of or, or conscious of at this moment? Uh, I know we're, we're speaking to a lot of people here, some of whom might have been uh, part of the Plant with Purpose family for years and years, other people who might be newer to us, um, maybe some who are just finding us right now. But yeah, I'm curious, are there any words of anything that you want to pass on to us? Well, I, I would just say that that we are a community. Uh, you know, I when I think of our partnership, I always think our partnership extends from the farming family in Ethiopia um, through our staff to our board and our key donors and to people who might just be listening um, for the first time. We are all partners and uh, and we're all part of a community. And so I would just encourage anybody to, to reach out with, with suggestions, with questions, if you need prayer, just if you need somebody to talk to. But 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 reach out to us. We're all we're all working together for God's kingdom. Uh, we're all in this together, and um, now more than ever, we need to reach out and make connections with each other. So I just want to make that invitation. Great, and I will second that invitation, Scott. Thank you so much for your time and and your sharing your input, and <laughs> we're in it together. So all the best for for the days, weeks, and months ahead. Um, thank you all for listening. As I mentioned, this episode was an unplanned one um, as our preparation for, for future episodes of the Grassroots Podcast was disrupted by COVID-19. Uh, it's something that we, you know, we look forward to being able to resume. We're looking forward to very many aspects of <laughs> quote unquote normalcy to resume, and that'll be one we're happy about. In the meantime, stay tuned to Plant With Purpose. You can go to plantwithpurpose.org and sign up for email updates there. You can follow us at plantwpurpose on social media. Um, Just to stay in tune, we're going to try and keep people in the loop as we hear things from our partners, just as we see the situation unfold and as we make um, important, challenging, and hopefully wise decisions as to how to go about this. I want to reiterate what Scott said to all of us. We are a community. Um, While we're right now being um, wisely told to be physically distant, we also want to stay emotionally and spiritually 
close. And so please reach out to us. You know, if via those social channels, you can direct message us. You can send us an email. Uh, if there's anything you need, there's prayers you would like us to say for you or, or any way we're able to reach out. Um, we are interested and constantly looking out for ways to serve you. That is going to be it for right now. Um, we hope that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy and are taking the necessary precautions. We'll be in touch. I'm Philippe Lazaro for Scott, for Christy, for the rest of the Plant With Purpose team and the Grassroots podcast. Thank you, and we'll talk again soon.